Does the statement, commit the crime, do the time? Does that resonate with you? you, know, are, you are you about justice? Now you tell somebody, hey, if you're going to commit the crime, you've got to do the time. What about when justice is not served? How do you feel when you see injustice? I mean, do you become angry? Do you get frustrated? I mean, perhaps even get enraged with emotion because of injustice? What about when a rich person gets away with murder? How do you respond to that? How about when a politician gets away with corruption? How do you respond? How about when a city councilman gets away with fiscal mismanagement? How do you respond? I'm sure you could think of many injustices that you experience. Perhaps one injustice that's better than the ones that I just mentioned. One that sits and is deeply rooted in you. But this morning I want to share with you the greatest injustice in the history of humanity. The greatest injustice. If you're taking notes this morning, the title is, When the Guilty Go Free. When the Guilty Go Free. How does even that title sit with you? Because we're speaking about injustice. And you think about the times people get off the hook. But we want them to pay. We want justice. If you're taking notes again, when the guilty go free, we're back in our study in the Gospel of John, picking up where we left off in John chapter 18, starting in verse 38. It's the latter half of verse 38. You can go ahead and find that in your Bibles. John chapter 18, starting in the latter half of verse 38. We're going to read this morning through chapter 19, the beginning part of verse 16. Just so you know, and we're all on the same page. In chapter 18, Jesus' trial begins. You know, Judas had betrayed him. He's been arrested. He's taken before the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. And Caiaphas technically being the real high priest, but Annas being his father-in-law. Annas had been the high priest, I think I read something like 15 years at that point. But the Roman authorities had taken him off, removed him. Because he was a treacherous man. He was treacherous. But the Jews still saw him as being in power. Jesus had to go before him. And now finally we see in the scriptures, Jesus is now in front of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And that's where we've looked at recently, if you've been with us. And Pilate has just interrogated Jesus. And Jesus said this. He said, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And Jesus told Pontius Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Do you remember how Pilate responded? He said, what is truth? What is truth? And that's where we pick up this morning. So if you look in your Bibles, John chapter 18, this morning we picked up right there. In verse 38, the second half, we read, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. May God bless the reading of his word. Church, I don't know. As a believer in Christ, as someone who has placed their trust and hope in our Savior, that when we read what occurred, if it's just a story to you, if you could just read over it, and it's almost become like we're hardened to it, and we're not sensitive to the fact of what's actually going on, this is our Lord. And when you put the different gospels together and you put all the information together, the way that he was treated was impossible to fully fathom. This is God in human flesh being treated like this. And I'm going to try this morning to get through this, but when you just slow down in the Word of God and you look at it and you meditate upon it and you think of Christ, this is a hard passage. 
It's a hard passage. Uh, I'm going to attempt this morning to break this down into three points of interest. The first one being the charges. What are the charges? The second one, we're going to look at the flogging. That's going to hurt. And third is the sentencing. If you're taking notes, the three points of interest we're looking at are the charges, the flogging, and the sentencing. The first, the charges. Like, what, what are they putting them up for? What, what are they accusing him of? And we see in chapters 18 and 19, there are actually two charges against Christ. The first charge is for treason. If you back up in chapter 18, I covered over quickly last week, didn't go into much depth, but in chapter 18 in verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? They had alleged that he was the king. And because he was professing to be the king, he is therefore guilty of treason. Treason for making himself king. Pilate then interrogates him and says, I find no evidence of this. I I don't find this man guilty. I find no guilt in him, is what Pilate says in verse 38 of chapter 18. I find no guilt in him. And then to try to appease the Jews, he then sends Jesus to be flogged, which we'll cover in much more detail shortly. But he sends Jesus to be flogged. And even after humbling the man, Jesus, and interrogating him again, he still finds no reason of guilt, no purpose of fault. And he tries to release Jesus to the crowd. He brings him out. If you look in your Bibles in chapter 19, verse 4, he brings him out again to the people. And he says, I find no guilt in him. So the people, the Jewish religious leaders there, they see the charge of treason slipping away. That this charge of treason of Jesus being the king isn't good enough to uphold in the Roman governor's eyes. So they need to bring up another charge. And this charge is a lot bigger. The charge is blasphemy. And you'll see it in verse 7. They say to Pontius Pilate, he has made himself the Son of God. He has made himself the Son of God. He is the Son of God. But the charge is that he has made himself, and blasphemy is a capital offense in Judaism. So the Jewish religious leaders are telling Pilate, look, according to our Torah, our religious writings, Jesus has committed blasphemy. He's claimed to be the Son of God, and therefore he is worthy of death. They are arguing to Pontius Pilate that he's worthy of death. Now remember, these religious leaders were very concerned about outward religiosity, their ceremony and ritual, that Pontius Pilate even has to come outside of his headquarters to speak to them because they can't go into his headquarters because that's Gentile territory. And they think, we're going to be defiled if we go in there. Defiled? Defiled outwardly? Because inwardly, they're looking for murder. They're trying to murder Jesus. We read in verse 8 that Pilate, once he hears this claim that Jesus was the Son of God, what do we see? He gets 
more afraid. He's more afraid. He hears it with Roman ears. And the Romans were very superstitious people. And to him, for Christ to claim to be the Son of God would imply that he's some holy man and perhaps he has divine powers of some kind. And Pilate's like, oh man, I want nothing to do with this. The Gospel of Matthew records Pilate's own wife coming to her husband saying, hey, I can't rest at all. I'm being tormented in a dream because of this man. Don't have anything to do with them. Nothing good is going to come out of this. Men, listen to counsel. Pilate's wife said, don't have anything to do with him. Been tormented in a dream. So Pilate privately questions Jesus again. And we read in verse 12 that from that point forward, Pilate sought to release him. Now stop there. Three times in this text, which again, there's this crazy thing of threes going on throughout the end of this Gospel of John. Three times Pilate has said, I have found no guilt in him. And I've already read through the whole passage, so you know the ending. What happens? What happens to Pilate? He's been warned by his wife. He doesn't find any guilt. But we're going to see what happens amongst the people. Pilate finds no guilt. He finds no guilt on the charge of treason. He finds no guilt on the charge of blasphemy. And if you think about it, it's quite interesting, those two charges. Treason and blasphemy are the same charges that every human being are guilty of. Treason and blasphemy. Every single person is guilty of treason because by nature we have not submitted to the king of kings. Every single person is also guilty of blasphemy because we have made ourselves God and have not lived according to his desires and his will, but our own desires and our own will. By nature, we are all guilty of treason and blasphemy. And these very charges are the exact ones that are leveled against our Lord the ones that should be charged against us. Let's look at the second point of interest. This might be a little bit harder to get through. Speaking of the flogging. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Pretty easy to read, right? No big deal. And so you know what flogging is. Scourging, some of your Bible's translations might say. Let me explain it briefly. A man would be stripped of his clothing. He would be tied to a post, so his back is extended around the post. Soldiers would have whips, leather strands, 10 or 12 of them, two and a half to two, or two to two and a half feet long, and in them would be bits of bone and metal. And they would whip the man. And that beating would tear the flesh off the man's back to the point where inner organs would be exposed. And people often died from such flogging. But if they didn't die, they would be flogged within an inch of their lives. And blood and flesh would be everywhere. You think about the, the, the wickedness of man and the sickness of man and these people who would actually do this, who would see flesh being ripped off 
and this is the punishment of, of what they would do and doing their job. Inflicting this pain, this suffering on an individual. Well, the Jews even knew how treacherous this was. And they had a law about how many times that they could strike a person. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 3, we read, 40 stripes may be given him, but not more. So in Scripture, you might read 40 minus 1. Because the Jews wanted to be careful they didn't go over and break the law. So 39 times. Paul the Apostle records that five times he was subjected to that. Why? For being a Christian. Five times. But here in chapter 19, Jesus is not being flogged by the Jews. Well, why is that relevant? Because the Jews are the one who had the law. That it was 40 times and no more. The Romans went until they decided it was time to stop. Until they were worn out. Until they could beat no more. Pull no more. Tear no more. There was no limitations. The point of flogging was to weaken the criminal so that the execution, the crucifixion, would be relatively swift. The criminal by that point would have no strength. And many of you know about the crucifixion. When they put your feet up, your, your knees are bent. And, and on your knees, you're pushing up and you're trying to breathe. But after being flogged, you wouldn't have much strength to lift up, to breathe. You would agonize. You would suffer. With crucifixion, what would happen is the lungs would fill up with fluid, and the person would ultimately die of pulmonary edema, which if you know anything about that, is absolute suffering. It's horrendous, agonizing, painful way to die. So scourging was a way to speed up death. That person wouldn't be able to help themselves much upon that cross. They would die much quicker. So before us, we have Jesus. And he is brutally flogged. Not only that, but in the text as we read it, and you can look back at it, he is then mocked as a king. And he is struck, and he is beaten. Isaiah 52, verse 14, prophesied, that his appearance would be so disfigured that he would be beyond human recognition. That is what Pilate brings out to the people. Our Lord Jesus, beaten, whipped, beyond recognition. Doesn't resemble a human at that point. It's just ridiculous of what he has gone through. And he stands there arrayed in a purple robe and a mock crown of thorns. And the purple robe, perhaps to hide the bloodied body, or most likely the naked body that's beneath. And he's standing there, and why? He's standing there for us, for the likes of you and the likes of me. And he's beaten within an inch of his life. And I cannot help but think what wondrous love this is. Who does that? Who, who submits himself to that? Except Christ. The whole point of this beating 
in Pontius's, remember, Pontius Pilate said, I find no guilt. So why would he have Jesus scourged? Why would he have him flogged? Because in his mind, I think, or I believe, he was trying to appease the people. Trying to say, look, if I have this guy the snot beaten out of him and present him, maybe they would have some compassion looking upon him. This innocent man who is now bloodied to a pulp, that maybe they would relent and say, that's fine, release him. We're satisfied. Our bitterness, our hatred, our anger is satisfied in what we're seeing. Surely anybody with compassion would do such a thing and say, enough, enough. But as you read, and I read, that was not the case. Instead, we look at our third point of interest this morning is the sentencing. The sentencing. We see in verse 6 that when the chief priests and officers saw Jesus, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And yet, what did Pilate say? I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. And Pilate says, you take him then and you crucify him. If you want him dead, you do it. But of course, Pilate knew they had no authority to do that. He's still looking upon them to relent, but they do not relent. And so they resort to verse 12. Skip down to verse 12. And it's their final attempt here to persuade him. And they say in verse 12, if you release this man rather than Barabbas, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anybody know what they're saying? They're speaking a threat to him, saying, we will report you that you have now supported this man, the uprising of him, claiming to be king, that you have affirmed that. And if we know anything about Caesar, Tiberius Caesar was notorious for inflicting swift and painful retaliation for anyone who showed any hint of disloyalty. And Pilate knew that. So when they threatened him, like, oh, you're going to release this man? You're no friend of Caesar then. And he hears this. So he brings Jesus out. And Jesus stands there before the people. And Pilate says, Behold your king. Behold your king. This bloodied figure, barely, barely a man dressed in mockery, behold your king. Brothers and sisters, that's Christ standing there. Behold your king. He wasn't on some big fighting horse that he comes in. He went humbly. He submitted himself. Behold your king. This is the king of kings, the judge of the universe, and he's being judged by wicked, sinful hearts. Now, we could read this 2,000 years later, but now I want to ask you a question. Now, we've got these new chairs here at La Sierra Baptist. You're sitting there, hopefully comfortable. But where would you have stood that day? Where would you have stood? What would you have said to the crowd when they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him? 
realize that the seed of treason against the king, against the king of kings, lies within every single one of us. The same seed that was in them, the sinful nature of man. But what would you have said? What would you have said? I would say that most of us would like to say that we would have stood up and we would have said, no, release Christ. Release Christ. He's innocent. Release him. But would we have said that? Now I want you to stand back a little bit further from this. I want you to say, okay, so why is John inspired by the Holy Spirit? Why is he recording this for us? Like, what is the message he's trying to communicate to us? Why is it there? Is it so we just feel it and we get emotional about it? I don't think that's his point. He's saying, first of all, you understand that everything that Jesus does here, he does in fulfillment of Scripture. He does it to testify to the truth. And he does it to fulfill his mission that he came to seek and save that which is lost this crown of thorns they put upon his head. This crown of thorns, what is that? You know, if you go very, to the very beginning back in Genesis chapter 3, part of the curse for Adam falling, for rebelling, the consequence was going to be thorns and thistles that would frustrate man's work. Part of the curse. And here we have the symbol of Christ taking that upon himself of that curse being put upon his head. Think about Jesus being silent before Pilate. And Pilate says, you're not going to speak to me? Well, what's he doing? He's fulfilling scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 says, as a sheep before its shears is silence, so he opened not his mouth. He's fulfilling scripture. In context, it's Passover. Thousands, if not tens of thousands of lambs have been slaughtered already in the temple for the forgiveness of sins. Part of the ritual for Passover. And here's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Who has been beaten to within an inch of his life. The one who will give his life to save sinners. The one who is the acceptable sacrifice. The only one without spot or blemish. You know, there's nobody else in all of history who was perfect, who could pay the sin sacrifice. Only Jesus could do it. Christ and Christ alone is the one who could open up the gates of heaven and let us in. And Pilate says, behold your king. Behold your king. You know, when I think of a king, I think of somebody big and strong and dressed real nice and presenting themselves with authority. And here we have our beaten Lord presented to the people, making a mockery of him. And this morning, if you are in the faith, behold your king. It's a pathetic sight of a man beaten so far beyond recognition. He's wearing a mock of a crown of thorns, a purple robe, and he stands before the people. Here he stands. What would be your vote? How would you cast your vote? 
Is that the king you're voting for? A man who is inches from death. Is that the king that you're seeking? John says, it's almost like John's saying this, look, behold your king, see him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the one who made the universe. He's here in this position, and the reason he's beaten so badly is for sinners like you and me. And so what happens? Barabbas is set free. Remember we talked about injustice and how you feel about injustice? Here a man who the Roman authority said three times, I find no guilt in him. And says, I'll even make a deal. We have a tradition. You, your people have a tradition. We'll release him unto you. And said, no, we don't want him. Crucify Christ. Give us Barabbas. So Barabbas is set free. The guilty one is set free. And the innocent one is condemned. Church, what an injustice. What an injustice. It is the greatest injustice in the history of humanity. What is that? What is that? And you know the answer? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Think about that for a second. The guilty is set free, and the innocent one is punished. It's the gospel. We read in Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is the greatest injustice ever recorded in human history. Barabbas is set free. Christ is condemned. The sinner is allowed to live, and Jesus will die in his place. The guilty go free, and the innocent will be charged. Talk about injustice. We read in Scripture, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So church, although we hate injustices, the greatest injustice ever recorded was Christ paying the penalty for your sins and for mine. That the innocent would die for the guilty. And that the guilty would go free. Incredible. So that we could be forgiven. And as John has penned this entire gospel, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing we would have eternal life in his name. What we've witnessed this morning is the gospel. Jesus would lay down his life, give himself, be wrongfully accused, be condemned, so that we who were guilty, we who deserved death, we who deserved the wrath of God, could go free. What glorious news. An injustice that God designed, even though he is just, he did not let sin go unpunished. That Christ would be the propitiation. He would satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. And the Bible says simply, this truth 
must be responded to by repenting and believing. That is it. By turning from yourself and from your way and turning to God, leaving the selfish pursuit behind and pursuing Christ and trusting that he has paid the full penalty. That when he died on that cross and said, it is finished, he meant every single word. It's done. There's nothing to be added to it. Nothing. Christ has paid it all. The believer's response is to stand humbly before our Lord, before our King, to worship and to honor him. The unbeliever's response is to turn to him to receive him. There's no other in all of history. This is the only one, this Christ, that we would repent and believe and have eternal life, the whole purpose of this gospel being recorded for us. Let's pray. Father, your word that you have inspired to be recorded for us can at times become letters on a page that make up words, that make up sentences, that make up paragraphs. And yet this morning we have slowed down and through the power of your Spirit have been able to comprehend the truth of the Scripture. That an innocent man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, died so we the guilty can go free. For your love gift of Christ. Thank you for your amazing love. Father, I pray that this truth would sink deeper into our hearts and our minds. Lord, truly, you would become bigger and we would become small. You'd be a big God in our eyes. We would see your great love. Now, when we look to Christ, we'd behold. Pray this in your Jesus.